Hey, Fusion Church family. One of my favorite things to do in the season leading up to Good Friday and Easter is to read through some of the different scenes of the life of Jesus just before he goes to the cross and the resurrection. And I found that reading through some of these scenes and actually trying to enter into the story as if I was there has really helped me to understand what it would have felt like and really to understand the significance of exactly what Jesus has done. So this week we've prepared a series of short devotionals for you based off of a couple of these scenes. And we hope that this will help you to really understand exactly what Jesus has done and make this a more meaningful kind of season for you. So hope you come along with us on this journey. In this very first episode, we're going to be looking at Jesus' time at the Last Supper, where he's in this room, probably the upper room, and he's celebrating this, this incredible meal with his disciples. Uh, and it's going to be the last meal that he shares with them before he goes to the cross. And so we're going to read that, and then we're just going to talk about it in just a minute. Matthew twenty six seventeen, On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? He replied, Go into the city to a certain man and tell him, The teacher says, My appointed time is near. I am going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. And while they were eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to him one after another, Surely you don't mean me, Lord. Jesus replied, The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. Jesus answered, You have said so. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to the disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus told them, This very night you will all fall away on account of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, Even if all fall away on account of you, I will never. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, This very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. So let me set the scene. It's the Passover meal. It's the time where they're commemorating and celebrating how God had rescued his people from slavery in Egypt, how they had taken the blood of lambs and spread them over the doorposts of their house to signify that these people were God's children and that they were going to be set free from slavery in order to worship him and live in that freedom. And this meal was designated to kind of commemorate that event, and it was a precious kind of sacred moment in the life of the Jewish people. If you were there, you would be smelling the the smells of fresh baked bread, 
of the wine on the table of meat cooking or having been cooked recently in the home. You would be hearing the sounds of people talking and, and, and rehearsing the story of how God saved his people. You probably would have heard people singing hymns or songs both in your house uh, and in homes that were close by because everyone lived in close quarters. You might have heard a goat uh, making a noise in the background or other animals as they all lived so close with each other. Uh, you, it would have been a time, a festive time, um, where people would have been celebrating this incredible day. It was such an important moment, and in this kind of scene, in this moment, Jesus is sharing this meal with his disciples. Uh, he had shared many meals with them before. As a matter of fact, Jesus uh, was accused of being a glutton and a drunkard because he was so frequently invited to people's homes uh, to have kind of like these dinner parties where he would talk about the kingdom of God. And and apparently, uh, he must have been a likable person. Uh, even though he was a controversial figure, people liked to be around him. Uh, and so my guess is that he was almost like the life of the party everywhere he went. Not that he just made a bunch of jokes, but that people really enjoyed being around him. And this moment, though, here in this room with his disciples, just his close followers, it probably would have felt a little bit different. I could imagine there's kind of a somber, sober feeling in the air instead of a sense of celebration. I can imagine the disciples gathered around the table and getting ready to hear Jesus talk about something and sensing that something was actually different. We, as Christians, look back on this scene, and we often kind of tell the story And when we take communion about Jesus' body being broken and his blood being shed, and we infuse it with religious meaning uh, and the good news that's held within this kind of little story. However, if you were there in the moment, you probably would not have been hearing this as good news, at least not initially. There probably was a lot of bad news here in this moment. Here's what I mean. First, Jesus tells his disciples that one of them is going to betray him. One of them is going to turn their back on him by turning him over to the authorities to be uh, put on trial and eventually executed. This would have been very disturbing to the followers of Jesus. Secondly, Jesus had been talking about his death for quite some time. He had been warning his disciples that this day was going to come. But in this moment, it becomes more real. He uses even more cryptic language that his body was going to be broken and his blood was going to be shed. This is their friend that the disciples are hearing say that he's going to be going to his death. I can imagine that this was kind of quite disturbing. Then the third piece of kind of bad news that he gives is that one of his closest friends and followers, Peter, is going to deny that he even knows him, that he's going to turn him back on him, turn his back on him in this way. And I can imagine, and we know from how how Peter had acted in other scenes that Peter protested, and, and we know even here that he said, no, Lord, I won't ever do that. We can sense in this moment that this is a heavy, heavy time. This is a heavy moment. And it wasn't just something for us to that, like we think about that, gosh, there's so much good news here because there is good news, but 
in that moment, his friends, his real life flesh and blood friends, people who had left everything to follow Jesus would have been kind of overcome with sadness and sorrow in this moment, thinking about betraying their master and their friend, thinking about him going to his death. But there's also, in the middle of it all, there is some really good news. You see, Jesus uses language here that if they had had ears to hear, they would have heard this incredible good news even in the midst of this bad news. He tells them that his blood is going to be shed for the forgiveness of sins and that there will be a new covenant. This idea of covenant is actually a biblical idea. It is the idea where two people make promises to one another, extreme kind of commitments to one another, to be for one another. It's not so much a contract. Think about vows between a husband and a wife. These are voluntary kind of things that people commit themselves to, uh, but they're very serious in a way because they're they're binding. Or maybe even a better metaphor in, in, in this situation would be uh, the parents who decide to adopt a child. They make this commitment that this child will be their child, that they will treat the child as if it was their own flesh and blood. It's a covenant made between the parents and the child. And in the biblical stories, uh, the covenants were oftentimes, or most times that we can tell, were actually sealed with blood. The wording for a covenant being formed is actually to cut a covenant because uh, what would happen would be that an animal would be sacrificed and the blood of the animal would be used in in solidifying this this covenant, the ceremony where two parties would come together and be, be made one in this unique partnership. And the reason for that was is because this was such a sacred promise and vow that the people would say, if I don't fulfill my end of the bargain, if I don't fulfill my side of the covenant, let it be death to me, essentially. And so the, the sign and the symbol of blood was a symbol of death. So Jesus here in this moment is saying that a new covenant is going to be coming and that his blood was going to be shed in order for this new covenant to actually happen. The people sitting there in the room, the disciples of Jesus, would have remembered that blood was also shed here uh, in this meal that they're celebrating, this Passover meal, that the blood of a lamb was written over the doorposts of the homes as God spared his people from the death that was coming into Egypt at the time. They would have thought about this, and if they had paid attention at all, they would have seen that Jesus was saying something really profound. He himself was the Lamb of God that was going to be sacrificed. Uh, The blood that he was going to be shed was going to be their covering for their freedom. He also says that the blood had to be shed for the forgiveness of sins. And uh, throughout the Bible, we know that blood was required for the forgiveness of sins, not because God was bloodthirsty and not because there was some kind of magic in the blood, but because sin was so serious, it's as if it invites and brings death into humanity and into the world that God created. 
And the only way for us to understand the seriousness and the weightiness of our sin was to realize that it actually caused death. And so this whole system of sacrifices instituted in the Old Testament for the people of God so that they would see when an animal was sacrificed, when the blood was shed, it was a life for my life. My sin has cost something else its life. And that blood would be kind of sprinkled on the altar and sprinkled in the temple. And that would be the sign and the symbol of forgiveness. And without that, the Bible says, there was no forgiveness of sin. So here, Jesus is in a cryptic and almost disturbing way saying that his own blood will be for their forgiveness, just as the lamb, just as the other animals were sacrificed for their sin. Now, this is good news even though it's in the midst of bad news. It's good news because the covenant, this new covenant had been promised all the way back in the Old Testament by the prophets. They had prophesied about a day when God's covenant would come in a new way with his people, where he would write his law on people's hearts instead of on tablets of stone, where he actually would go beyond that and give them a new heart, that their heart of stone would be made a heart of flesh. He promises through the prophets that in this new covenant, his spirit would be poured out on and in his people so that his spirit wasn't just associated with the temple and resting in and on the temple anymore. And actually the people of God would be the temple of God and that his spirit would dwell in his people. And so here in this moment, if they had ears to hear, they would understand and see that this new covenant that Jesus was bringing was incredibly good news. Also, they would know that the the sacrifices that had been made over and over and over again, if they, if they were able to hear it for what it was, Jesus was actually saying that this will be a once and for all sacrifice for all the forgiveness of the sins. There won't have to be the animal sacrifice anymore. It will be my blood. I am taking your place. In that moment, I can imagine that the disciples were able to pick up on these echoes. They were able to see what Jesus was saying, but it was still disturbing. Their friend, the person that they had followed for all of these years, for the last couple years, that he was going to go to his death, and that was what he was saying here in this moment. It was both good news and bad news wrapped up in one, and we can feel that tension. And actually, I think if we put ourselves in that situation where we're sitting at the table, I think that we could feel that tension ourselves, that we could hear this terrible, sad, incredible news. It's bad enough that their friend was going to go to their death. It's bad enough that they were going to betray him and turn their back on him. But this wasn't just any man. This was a perfect man, the only one who's ever been holy. It was God himself sharing with them that he was going to go to his death for their sake. This would have been deeply disturbing, but also it's beautiful. Think about the grace of God in this moment. Jesus shares a table with people who were his friends, who are some of whom are now going to be his enemies. And even in the midst of his enemies, he's telling them that he is going to forgive them. He's making them a promise that he is going to give them a new covenant, even though they're going to turn their back on him. Hopefully, 
I, I don't know for sure, but hopefully in this moment, they were able to perceive a little bit of that good news. Thankfully, we have the benefit of looking back on the story and seeing exactly what Jesus meant that he was making a promise. He was extending his grace and his love to them just as he extends it to us. And actually, I think for this week leading up to Easter, it's important that we think about the gravity of our own sin, that we think about the need in our life for a new heart, the need in our life for the forgiveness of our sins. Many of you listening would have already made a commitment to follow Jesus. You already have faith in the Lord, which is incredible. So you don't need to revisit your sins and think about all those kinds of things. But but it's good to be reminded of just why Jesus had to go to the cross for our sake. It's good to be reminded that all of us were dead in our sins and trespasses, that every single one of us needed the grace of God, that we could not come to our own salvation. We could not save ourselves, that we needed Jesus to do exactly what he said he was going to do in this moment. So it's good for us to reflect on that. But even more importantly, it's it's so good to focus in on the incredible love and grace of Jesus. He is the one who said that no greater love has anyone than this, than he would lay his life down for his friends. And here in this moment, Jesus is promising to do just that. Even though, even here in his moment, they weren't just his friends, some were about to be his enemies. So I want to encourage you as you think and reflect and lead yourself up to this Easter weekend, to Good Friday and Easter, to recognize that God calls you a friend. His grace is for you. You are welcome to sit at his table, no matter what you've done, no matter who you are, no matter what you know about God or don't know about God. He invites you into this new covenant relationship where he promises to make you a part of the family of God if you would give your life over to him. I pray that this week that that reality would become more real for you, that you would see the blood that was shed on the cross for your sake to set you free so that you can freely live and freely worship him. Just as God had done a long time ago, he was doing it again, and he's still doing it today. My prayer for you this week is that you will begin to walk in the freedom that this new covenant Uh, that Jesus provides for you, that you'll walk in the freedom of forgiveness and experience his love and grace in this week.